Well, boys and girls, it's great that you're here tonight and uh, you're going to go out to snack in just a moment or two. But we have been looking at the book of Daniel here in church uh, at our Sunday evening services. And we're in Daniel again tonight. And we're going to read a really brilliant story from Daniel chapter 6. I am sure that you will know this story. Your mums and dads and grannies and granda will know this story too. We're going to read Daniel chapter 6. And it's on page 743 of the Pew Bibles, page 743. And then it goes over into page 744. It's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel facing the scary lions. And we're going to read this story together. And uh, then we're going to sing a song about Daniel after we've read this chapter. It's quite a long chapter, uh, 28 verses, but we're going to read it all together because it's a brilliant story and we need to know what it says. So Daniel chapter 6. It's on pages 743 over into 744 of the Pew Bibles, and this is God's word to us. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel, unless we find it in it find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, 
May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had, who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen. And we thank God, boys and girls, for that brilliant story from the Bible. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 6. Uh, you'll find that epic chapter on pages uh, 743 over into 744 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, we're going to think about it together for a few moments this evening. Uh, one of the most important Christian disciplines is reading the Bible. Uh, that is profoundly difficult in a culture that is so anti-books, but Christians are called to read and study the scriptures. Uh, Psalm 119 is possibly the best expression of that call to read and study the Bible. It tells us about the benefits of doing so. It tells us that we will keep our way pure if we guard ourselves according to the word. It tells us that we find hope in the word. And it also tells us that the word is sweeter to our souls than honey is to our mouths. But one of the dangers in reading the Bible is that we assume we know what it says. That we come to stories like, like the one in front of us tonight, like closed books ourselves. That we say something like, I have heard this story since I was a wean. There is nothing more for me to learn or to understand. We should never say that and we should never assume that we know everything about any kind of Bible story. Uh, you'll maybe be familiar with the well-used well quote about the Bible. Someone once said, the Bible is like a body of water in which a child may wade and an elephant may swim. The Bible is like a body of water in which a child may wade and an elephant may swim. The quote points to the simplicity of scripture, but also to its depth. 
We should never assume that we know everything about every Bible story, particularly the famous ones. And we're looking at a famous one tonight. The story of Daniel in the lion's den is the most famous story in the book of Daniel, and it's one of the most famous stories in the whole of the Bible. People who've never read the Bible, who don't believe the Bible, know that Noah had an ark and that Daniel was thrown to the lions. And children love the story because it taps into their imaginations. But we can make at least two mistakes about this story as we read it, mainly because we're so familiar with it. Mistake one is that we assume that this is a nice story for children. God saves Daniel from some scary lions. Now, this mistake has been given oxygen because of its retelling in children's Bibles. Daniel is presented as this young man, but actually, according to the biblical record, he's anything but. D Daniel 6 is the story of an innocent man who is pushing 80 or is well into his 80s, and he is condemned to death in a most gruesome manner because he chooses loyalty to God over obedience to the government of the day. So mistake one is that we assume that this is a nice story for children. Mistake two is that we read this story moralistically. And by that I mean we read it in such a way that says, Daniel is the hero of the story. You should dare to be like Daniel. That's a mistake because God is the hero of this story, not Daniel. Daniel doesn't deliver himself. God delivers him. We should never assume that we know everything about every Bible story, including Daniel 6. We need to come to this story with fresh eyes. And that has been my prayer this week, that we would see this story with fresh eyes and understand its truths in a deeper, more meaningful way. Daniel 6 comes immediately after Daniel 5. Darius the Mede has taken over from Belshazzar. The, the, the Babylonian Empire has crumbled and the Medo-Persian Empire has risen to the top. I didn't say this last week, but we can actually be very specific about when Belshazzar died and when the Medo-Persian Empire captured Babylon. But Babylon was captured on the 12th of October, 539 BC, a long time ago. But importantly, the first Jewish exiles from Babylon began to return home in 538 BC. And it's that important context in which we read this story. Some of God's people have returned some are still in Babylon. And that is the situation Daniel finds himself in. And for a third time in this book, we have a conflict chapter. A third story of how God's people come up against real hostility. Chapter 1 is the first, chapter 3 is the second, chapter 6 is the third. There are actually some striking parallels between Daniel 3 and Daniel 6. Let me give you three with the references. Uh, there are more than three, but let me give you... Give these to you. Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refuses to, be, to obey the order of the state. 6.10 and 3.18 are the references. Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is thrown into something, a den or a pit of lions, as compared to a fiery furnace. 6.16 and 3.20 are the references. And Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is not harmed following his punishment for not obeying the state. The lions don't eat him, and the three friends aren't singed. 6.23 and 3.27 are the references. So this is the third and, and final conflict chapter in the book. And what we're going to do as we look at it together is keep things very simple and use four words to understand it. Our four words to understand this story are promoted, praying, panicking, 
and protected. First word then is promoted. As we read the beginning of the chapter, Daniel is promoted to high office. As Darius takes over the role of the Medo, uh, over the over the role of, of, the, of ruler of the Medo-Persian Empire, he sets his sight on delegating authority out to others. He's making the empire more federal, and is reducing the control of the central government. He sets 120 satraps over the whole kingdom, and there are three high officials in charge of the satraps. Daniel being one of them. As Daniel fulfills that role, it becomes clear that he is someone who is very trustworthy. Verse 3 tells us that Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Having seen evidence of his trustworthy character, Darius plans to put Daniel in charge of the whole kingdom. In Daniel 1, Daniel and his friends were young men. By the time of this passage, Daniel is an old man and his friends may have died. By by this point, Daniel's accent would have been the same as everybody else's. His family wouldn't have stood out. They were all all part of it as well. And Daniel's commitment to the good of the state wasn't in question. He had been been strategic in a number of successive governments. He had achieved high office under King Nebuchadnezzar. That changed when Nebuchadnezzar died, but Darius promotes him again. Daniel has learned to live as a pilgrim. From the outset of his political career, Daniel was in his culture, but not of his culture. That's a very important distinction. He was in his culture, but he was not of his culture. On the one hand, he didn't withdraw from Babylonian culture as far as he could in in order to avoid being stained by it. On the contrary, he he had now served the empire faithfully for almost 70 years. The thing to notice about Daniel, one of the human reasons for his promotion, is that he is an utterly trustworthy person. In a moment, we'll see why. We'll see that that some within the kingdom want to damage and, and remove Daniel but they struggle to find anything to blot his copybook. In New Testament terms, Daniel is someone who is above reproach. He's a brilliant example or illustration to us of godly Christian character. We're going to come to how he developed and cultivated this character in just a moment. The early verses of this story tell us that Daniel is promoted, but very quickly we find him praying. And this second point will be the longest of the four. Darius's plan to promote Daniel even further comes up against some fierce opposition. The other officials and satraps don't want Daniel to be top dog. What they do is both very clever and very underhand. They know Daniel is above reproach and they carve up a plan to catch him out using the law of God. What's interesting about the officials is that they go to Darius as a group. So you see that in verse 6, verse 11 and verse 15. They hunt in a pack. They move like a mob. They are politically savvy and they appeal to Darius's arrogance. Before he was humbled, Nebuchadnezzar was supremely arrogant and proud. The officials tap into Darius's sense of himself by saying, you, you should pass a law that only allows people to pray to you. And Darius thinks, well, that is, that is a brilliant idea. After all, I am a brilliant guy. Where do I sign this law? As well as that, the officials also lie. They tell Darius in verse 7 that all the officials and counsellors and so on agree about the new law. It's a lie because Daniel is one of the officials and he is not in favour of it. It's 122 verses 1. 
They're very clever and they're very underhand. And Daniel probably knew that they were closing in on him. Darius signs the document and injunction in verse 9. And then verse 10 tells us this. It says, When Daniel knew knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Despite the edict against praying to anyone else apart from Darius, Daniel makes a definite decision to do what he always does, namely pray to the living God. What he does in verse 10 is simply a public expression of his private devotion. His life matches his doctrine. He knew that by praying to God, he was signing his own death warrant, but that doesn't stop him. Daniel doesn't want to be of the culture He doesn't want to fit in. He wants to stand out. The the officials hunting in a pack catch Daniel out in verse 11. Uh, One of the questions you might have about this story if you're looking at it with fresh eyes is, why does Daniel pray in such a public place? Children's books on this story present Daniel as praying out of bay windows or or a balcony where he can be very clearly seen. That's probably a misreading of the story. Daniel's windows would have been high and it's possible that the officials had planted someone in his room to watch him and to see what he does. Whatever happened, Daniel is reported and finds himself in some serious trouble. We know though from the opening of the chapter that Daniel is someone who is above reproach. And in verse 10, we get a sense of his deep dependence on the Lord. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. The the phrase that is most notable, though, is the one that comes at the end of that verse. As he had done previously. What that tells us is that Daniel was someone who made decision after decision after decision to go God's way. Eugene Peterson was a Bible teacher and preacher, and he talked of a long obedience in the same direction. That was Daniel's life. That is how he cultivated godly character. His life was given over to obeying the Lord and also in praying to him. The challenge of this passage for us as believers is how well are we praying? Here's a question that should challenge all of us. Would it make any substantial difference in our lives, individually or as churches, if prayer was banned for the next 30 days? Would it make any difference in our lives if prayer was banned for the next 30 days? If prayer had been banned along with social interaction in the COVID lockdowns, would it have mattered? Would it have affected your life? As he had done previously, Daniel prayed all the time. And there's lots we could say about his patterns and method. But let me say this. I heard somebody speak on prayer recently and they said that the church has learned to do lots of good things throughout history But the person speaking said the one thing the church has never learned or has never done well is pray. It's a challenging and perceptive point. Really stuck with me. We can can live stream services. We can have a pile of weans down at the front of church. And that is brilliant. But what we are on our knees before God as a church family is more telling than anything else. And I say this in all humility and in all love. If we are going to build a church, we are going to have to pray more. 
Back to Daniel 6. Promoted, Daniel is promoted because he is trustworthy. Praying, Daniel models a deep dependence on the Lord. Panicking, that's our next word. Daniel is not panicking. The person panicking is Darius. He he, he has a problem in that he really likes Daniel, but he signed a law that is more complicated than he realized. The officials who have set Daniel up consulted the best legal experts, and there's no wriggle room for Darius. Praying means that Daniel dies. It's that simple. Verse 14 tells us that the king is much distressed and interestingly set his mind to deliver Daniel. We're told he labored till the sun went down to rescue him, but to no avail. The officials make sure of that in verse 15. And in verse 16, Daniel is thrown into the den of lions. The king says, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you And off he goes to his palace where sleep fled from him. It's interesting, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar can't sleep because of his dreams. Darius can't sleep because of his laws. He's panicking. A word or two on the den that Daniel is thrown into. It was an underground cistern which had an opening at the top that could be closed off with a large stone. Cisterns like it could be used for water storage or as a prison in this, case, in this case, the king kept lions in this underground cave and he could use them for capital punishment. It was a cruel but effective deterrent to anyone who even thought about disobeying a law of the Medes and Persians. As we think about Daniel being thrown into the lion's pit but prospering afterwards, our minds easily wander to the story of Joseph, don't they? Almost exactly the same thing happened to Joseph. He was thrown into a pit but prospered later. Darius is panicking. Daniel is now surely facing his last moments, but incredibly, he is protected. That's our fourth word. Verses 19 to 28 tell us about the conclusion of the story. The story contrasts with sharp irony the experience of Daniel and Darius during the night. King Darius returned to his palace and couldn't enjoy the usual comforts of food and entertainment, At dawn, he rose and hurried to the lion's den, crying out as he went, deeply concerned for Daniel. When he gets to the den, Daniel is, in comparison, cool, calm, and collected. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. My God's the king of the lions, as the boys and girls sing. Astonishingly, Daniel had actually had a far more comfortable night in the stinking pit than Darius had in his luxurious palace. Daniel's den wasn't so much a den of lions as it was a den of angels. The angels shut the mouths of the lions and kept God's servants safe. It's quite the contrast. Darius had at his disposal every pleasure the ancient world had to offer, but he couldn't enjoy any of them. Daniel had nothing but the presence of God with him, And he enjoyed a peaceful night. And that tells us that true peace doesn't come from the possessions that we have. It comes from the protection and favor of God in our lives. Promoted, praying, panicking, protected. That's Daniel 6 done and dusted. What a lovely story. It's a good story, but we're not quite done and dusted because although it's familiar its application takes us down some unfamiliar paths, paths that we maybe perhaps don't expect to be taken down. I mentioned the two mistakes that we make with this passage. Mistake one is that we assume that this is a nice story for children, 
And it is. It's good to teach our boys and girls Bible stories like this one. But, but actually, if you, if, if you are, and I say this carefully, if you're older, if you are in what you might describe as your twilight years, then this story should give you real encouragement. One of the things that I sometimes reflect on is how we focus a lot on young people and making church relevant for them and making the Bible relevant for them. But this story is not just a children's story. It's a story for you if you are around Daniel's age and he's in his 80s. The thing for you to take away if you're in that category is that you should keep your eyes fixed like Daniel. Daniel 6 stands as an encouragement to you to keep running the race all the way to the finish line and not to let yourself drift towards the end. For, for those of us who are younger, we also need to see that the, see that the decision Daniel made in chapter 1 when he was in his teens set the trajectory for the rest of his life. The decision he made in chapter 1 leads directly to the decision he makes in chapter 6. What we are in our early years, we will be in our later years. If you think you're going to be something at 80 that you aren't now, then you'd better start playing catch-up. You shouldn't assume that you can be half-hearted now and then somehow make a big push later on. For those of us who are younger, we need to resolve now to be the kind of man or woman who pleases God by faithfully living for him. Mistake one is that we assume that this is a nice story for children. It is, but it's not just that. Mistake two is that we can read this story moralistically. Be more like Daniel. Pray more like Daniel. Stand out in the way that Daniel did. If I sent you home with those words ringing in your ears, you would be utterly deflated. You would trudge out of church saying, I, I will never be like Daniel. The, the, the bar is just too high. You'll be pleased to know that's not how the sermon ends. That's because there are some moments in this chapter that remind us of someone else. Let me walk you through the moments. Daniel's enemies wanted to get rid of him and they tried to get him into trouble. In his job, Daniel had done nothing wrong, nothing. His enemies had to invent a new law to get Daniel into trouble. When Daniel heard about his enemy's plan, he knew he was going to be arrested and thrown to the lions. And what did he do? He prayed. Does that remind you of anyone? Anyone at all? Does it remind you of, say, Jesus? Jesus who was falsely accused and set up. Jesus who never did anything wrong. Jesus who, knowing that he was about to die, prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus who was raised from the dead. That's the key difference between Jesus and Daniel. Daniel didn't die, not at this point of the story. And Daniel was not perfect. He was great, but he was a sinner. And he didn't die at this point, not for anyone's sins. Jesus died on the cross, and in a similar but profoundly different way, God brought his son out of a sealed pit, out of a tomb, out of death, Jesus didn't remain in the grip of the tomb. God raised him from the dead also that those who trust and believe in him might have eternal life. And the people Jesus redeems through his death and resurrection are not all super believers like Daniel. Most of us are just ordinary sinners, people who cave in constantly to the unrighteous demands of our world. From our earthly perspective, 
we don't look like much. The church is made up of people who are deeply flawed, but Jesus calls us beautiful. Even people like us, people who are deeply sinful, can be found beautiful before the perfect and holy God because he sees the end of the process. He sees the glorious church that he will present to himself without flaw or wrinkle. Our salvation doesn't rest on our ability to dare to be a Daniel. If it did, we wouldn't get anywhere. It rests solely on Christ's perfect obedience in our place. And in the midst of a world of trials and tribulations, in a world of lions that come roaring after us, that is where we need to look. Mistake one is that we assume that this is a nice story for children. It is, but it's much more than that. Mistake two is that we can read this story moralistically. It's a story about Daniel, but it points us to our saviour, the Lord Jesus. It's so clear, isn't it? It's one of the clearest shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's a brilliant chapter in a brilliant book, which reminds us that God is in control. Our God reigns. He is the hero of this story, the hero of this book, and the hero of our stories. Because without him, where would we be? There is actually an answer to that question. Without him, where would we be? Did the end of the story make you raise an eyebrow? Because this is a familiar story, but in retelling it, we so often leave a little bit out. Look down at verse 24. And the king, that's Darius. So Darius, the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions They, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Well, that's nasty. All all those people are thrown into the lion's den, the the children, the, the, the wives. Is it nasty? It's actually just like last week. Daniel is spared in the lion's den. He didn't escape the lions because the lions weren't hungry. He's protected and delivered by God. And Daniel tells Darius that the lions didn't hurt him because he was found innocent in God's sight. Daniel was simply living up to his name, which means my God is the judge. His experience in the lion's den confirmed that most basic truth. God had weighed him in the balances. God had judged him and found him not guilty. But those who tried to set him up, those who opposed God's faithful servant, well, they were weighed in the balances, found wanting, and thrown into the pit. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 8 says, He who digs a pit will fall into it. The ending of the story seems nasty. Who throws throws women and children into a lion's den? But then we see it from another perspective. These people... These were people who were, who were living in rebellion to God and they were judged accordingly. Without him, where would we be? Wed in the balances and found wanting and separated from him forever. That's why tonight, if you don't already trust the Savior, you need to run to him. You need to flee to him. You need to find your rest and your peace in him. The one who lived and who died, who was falsely accused, who went down into the pit of death, also that you might live. 
Daniel was a man of prayer. Daily he prayed three times. He's a very good example to us. But Jesus is the Son of God and he has died so that we might live. So will you trust him if you haven't already? Will you keep living faithfully for him if you have? Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to you tonight, we come thankful for your grace to us through your son, the Lord Jesus. And we reflect and and contemplate those words that Darius commanded be read to all peoples, nations, and languages. Words which, which tell us much about you. You are the living God, enduring forever. Your kingdom shall never be destroyed. Your dominion shall be to the end. You deliver and rescue. You work signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And you save Daniel from the power of the lions. And you've saved us from our sins. You've saved us from eternal death. How we thank you for Jesus. How we pray that others would come to trust in Jesus too. How we pray that you would help us to live faithfully for the Jesus that we've come to trust. Help us in these things we pray. For we ask in the Saviour's name. Amen.